This is KMTT. The week begins this uh, winter, Tavshin Ein, with a shiur by Harav Benjamin Tavori, a series, weekly series, on uh, modern responsa of the 20th century, more or less, both the individual and the and the topic. Harav Benjamin Tavori. Any discussion of Shailot Shuvot, responsa of the 20th century, must certainly include the Shuvos of Harav Avadya Yosef. Rav Avadya was born on the day after Yom Kippur of 1920, in 1920. He was born in Baghdad and his father ran a grocery store. They came on Aliyah when Rav Avadi was a little boy, and he entered the Talmud Torah of B'nai Tzion and continued learning in the Shiva Parat Yosef. He was obviously very gifted in all face, facets of learning. The Russia Yeshiva took a personal interest in him, and he even began writing Chidushim, or words of Torah, from earliest age, at the age of 17, he wrote a pamphlet on Masechet Horios, mainly dealing with the genealogy of Tanoim and Amoraim, which was actually reprinted many, many years later in his Sefer Yechevedas. Apparently, his father, who was involved also in a type of a grocery store in Yerushalayim, wanted the young Ovadia to leave Yeshiva and help him in his work. The story that's told about him is that the Rosh Yeshiva tried to intercede on his behalf and finally went to the father of Rav Avadia and told him that if really his father needed help and he couldn't manage without help, the Rosh Hashiva himself volunteered to help in the store. He said, because the time of Rav Avadia is so valuable that we would hold back his progress in learning, which would be very important for the world, for Klal Yisrael. I guess that his father was convinced by such a, a plea. Whatever, we know that Rav Avadia continued learning was uh, received smicha from Rav Uziel, who was the chief rabbi of Eretz Yisrael, probably at that time. And he, at a very young age, he was appointed as a Dayan. He actually went to Egypt for a few years in 1948 to be the Dayan of the community. Now, he was 28 years old at that time, and the situation or the religious life in Egypt at that time was quite problematic. And as a young man, not only did he have to pass in difficult she'elot, but he had to come to grips with the community and somehow be very, very strict and demanding to observe halacha the way he understood it. He did not stay too long in Egypt and went back to Eretz Israel 
1950. He was appointed a Dayan, yet he continued learning in a Beit Midrash of Yushalayim, where which was under the auspices of, of Rav Tzipasach Frank, who was the Rav of Yushalayim. At the age of 34, Rav Avadya published his first volume of major tshuvas, Yabia Omer. At that time, he was also a Dayan in Petach Tikva. And in fact, he had to write some sort of a, a type of, uh, of explanation. Some would call it even a quasi-apology, how a person so young could publish a sefer of Shelotu Tshuvot. He became a, an Av Bezdin Yerushalayim about 1959. He then later became the chief rabbi of Tel Aviv. And later, of course, he served as the chief rabbi of Eretz Yisrael. He was appointed for a term which at that time was limited to 10 years. In 1962, he, in, in, I'm sorry, when he was 62, when Rav Avadio was 62, he actually retired from being chief rabbi. And we all know that his career, both in terms of politics and in terms of scholarship and contribution in Torah literature, has not stopped at all and continues as long as he is capable, he will do so, still is active in publishing his writings. In fact, he wrote how he prayed all his life that he would be able to print all the svarim that he has ready to be printed. I really don't even know how many svarim there are to, today, but we'll discuss only the Sheilot Chuvot of Rav Avadia, that the most familiar two sets, two two different types of Sheilot Chuvot. One is called Yabia Omer, and the other is called Yechavedat. Yabia Omer is a collection today which still keeps coming out, but of course we're going to deal with Shuvas of the 20th century, so we'll have to call a break with these Shuvas until the end of the 20th century. Those Shuvas are known for their Bikius, their incredible amount of sources that seem to be on the fingertips of Ravavadya's encyclopedic knowledge. He quotes so many sources in one tshuva that a person who wants to study the tshuva carefully and check the sources has a tremendous uh, amount of work just to read one tshuva. There are hundreds of sources that could be quoted in one in one tshuva. Frankly, many of those tshuvas quote sources that except for Ravavadya, I never heard of the Svarim. When I study, for example, the tshuvas of Rav Moshe Feinstein, so generally he'll quote major sources in halacha, and I'm basically familiar with the svarim. Maybe not with that particular tshuva, but at least he'll quote the svarim that I, I know. Rav Avadia knows the siflut svaradit. He knows the literature of the great svaradic rabbis through the ages, as well as the Ashkenazi rabbis, as well as the Rishonim and, and classic Achronim, and, and the wealth of knowledge is just fantastic in, it, in the Chuvas of Yabia Omer. 
I'd like to discuss specifically today not those tshuvas of Yabi Omer, but the tshuvas of Yechavedas. Now, Yechavedas represents a new type of genre of Sheilotu tshuvot, which is going to actually lead us into the 21st century. The idea of the Yechavedat began, there are six volumes of the Yechavedat today, and the idea of the Yechavedat actually began in a radio program that was broadcast every Friday. There was a program on Kabbalat Shabbat, and there was a few minutes allotted every week to a Pinat Halacha, to a section of Halacha, where a question was discussed by Rav Ovadia. Some In the beginning, if I'm not mistaken, he delivered it himself. Later on, it was read by one of his uh, associates or Talmidim, and he discussed a question every week. If I remember correctly, when I was uh, living in Pardis Chana years ago, I used to listen to this program every Friday. I vaguely remember that one of the questions discussed, since the program was broadcast between 3 and 4 on Arab Shabbos, very often <coughs> a person was actually preparing himself for Shabbos and had to go into the shower. And the question was, at which point could he listen to the, sh- to the, to the Divrei Torah? At what point could he not listen to the Divrei Torah? In any sense, in any, in any case, those chuvas were written originally for broadcast on the radio. Later on, people requested, and Ravadya published one volume after another, of chuvot of Yechavadas. So this new genre of chuvas was written as a base, the basis of which was a, a radio program, and it really was more of the type of Sheilotu Tshuvot to teach people, Amcha, the general people, details in Halacha. Rather than the type of Tshuvot of, let's say, the Chasam Sofa, the Noda Behuda, where complicated questions came up that were addressed to uh, a Bezdin to adjudicate, to decide important questions that were not necessarily related to Archaim. The Yechavadas was basically given to Amcha Yisrael to discuss points in halacha that are relevant to each person and to explain, to go from the beginning to the end, to explain the bottom line, what the halacha is. Much has been written about Rav Avadya, both as, of course, an important political leader and as a great halachic scholar, and people that want to follow up on studying, the understanding the methodology and the personality of Rav Avadya will find today books, doctorates written about him. For example, I have in front of me a book by Ariel Picard, Mishnato Shel Rav Avadya Sef Bi'idan Shel The Teachings of Rav Avadya in the Time of Change. And the subtitle reflects the two aspects of Rav Avadya's involvement in our world. The study of Halacha and a description of the community, of the culture of the time. Uh, Rav Ben Lau also published an important sefer, Mimaran Admaran, discussing Halachic positions of Rav Avadya. 
I'd like to just point out two things before we get to an actual tshuva. One, Ravavadya appealed specifically in Yechevedas to the people, to teach people halacha lemaase. His general approach was very much to find kulos. He wrote, quoted the Chidah, and this is quoted in the various books about Ravavadya, that he believed strongly in koach der teira adif, that the strength, the power of being matir is better. And Ravavadya quoted the Chidah, who said this is similar and reminiscent of Svardi Psak in general. And he said the Svardim have the Midah of Chesed and their Mekel, whereas the Ashkenazim have the Midah of Gvura and therefore their Machmir. This is a quote that Ravavadya used to say in the name of the Chidah. But that certainly reflects his approach, specifically in, the, in our generation where he felt being Machmir in places where it need but not be necessary, would just estrange the community from embracing Torah and Halacha. And therefore he felt it's incumbent upon the Posek, and specifically upon himself, to find a place to be making. The other introduction I want to make perhaps requires much more elaboration, and I recommend reading the books that I quoted above, that Ravavadya was, is and was very insistent on the concept Lagzir Ataral Yoshna, to return the crown to where it was. The crown itself, what it was, the Svardi culture, the greatness of the Svardi Poskim at the ages, the importance of the pride of the Svardi community, specifically the Psak of the Rav of Eretz Yisrael, of the Bet Yosef, of Yosef Cairo, the author of the Shulchan Aruch, to return the halacha to basic psak of Shulchan Aruch. Therefore, many questions that Rav Avadi discussed in many of these svarim relate to Svardi psak that had been ignored for some reason for many years, and Rav Avadi wanted to re examine the sources and explain what Sfardi Psak should be. One of the classic examples is a discussion that you can find in so many of Ravavadya Svarim. It's found in Yechavadas in a number of places, as well as almost almost every other Sefer of Ravavadya has a discussion of this somehow. And the question is whether women may make a bracha now we know there are certain mitzvahs from which a woman is woman is exempt. But almost all posts can feel that at least in most of those mitzvahs, women who want to do those mitzvahs certainly would be permitted. In fact, it's meritorious and it would be a good idea for them to do it. For example, let's say shaking a lulav. A lulav certainly is a mitzvah and certainly women are exempt from that mitzvah. However, it's certainly permitted for women to take a lulav and esrog and, be, and fulfill the mitzvah. May she make a bracha in such a case. It seems that common practice for many years was that women 
indeed do make such a bracha. The source that Ravavadya begins with, of course, is a discussion in Rishonim. The Gemarian Kedushin mentions that a blind person was either happy or unhappy about the fact that he was not sure whether he's chayiv in mitzvahs or potter in mitzvahs. He did the mitzvahs anyway. He felt he did not lose doing the mitzvah, but he wanted to know if it would be as great or greater than a person who's actually obligated the mitzvah. Of course, this is according to the opinion that a blind man is potter from these mitzvahs. Tulsus points out that apparently, while he was blind, he made a bracha on the mitzvah, even if he thought that they were not mechoyiv in such a mitzvah. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been happy at all. But if he was happy, assuming that he was potter from mitzvahs because he thought that it was great to be potter and do the mitzvah anyway, apparently he made a bracha. So Tosas in Kedushin brings a proof from here that a blind, if a blind person can make a bracha on a mitzvah from which he is exempt, so a woman can make a bracha for a, on a mitzvah for which she's exempt. Tosas in other places debates this point, Tosas in Rosh Hashanah. Other Rishonim disagree and say that we paskin that a woman should not make a bracha on a mitzvah saseishah zman grama. The Rambam paskins that a woman should not make a bracha on a mitzvah saseishah zman grama against Tosas. We first should analyze what's the problem with making a bracha even if you're exempt from the mitzvah. So at first glance, a person might think there are two different issues involved. One is a bracha she'enotzricha. To make a bracha which is not absolutely necessary. Now, there is a an idea, of course, that one should not make a bracha she'enotzricha. In fact, in one place, the Rambam seems to say that this would be an Issa Daraisa. To, to mention God's name in vain in a bracha which is not necessary would be akin to mentioning God's name in vain. And therefore, in one place the Ram seems to say it's Asr Midaraisa. Most people think that it is Asr, but it's Asr Midrabanan. Now the question would be, is this a bracha she'enat tzricha? The fact that you're not required to make the bracha, but you want to do, make the bracha to, because you are fulfilling a mitzvah, is this considered a bracha she'enat tzricha? Rav Avadya thought, that it was. And he quotes sources that a woman should not make a bracha, and he pointed out that it's a machlokas between the machaber and the rama. The, Rav, the author of the Shulchan Aruch, Rabbi Yosef Cairo, said a woman may not make such a bracha, and Rav Avadi interpreted because it's a bracha sheinat tzricha. On the other hand, the rama does permit making such a bracha, and he says you can make a bracha on a mitzvah saseh, a woman could make a bracha on a mitzvah saseh shazman grama. The other problem involved would be technically the text of the bracha. Can a person say, Asher Kedushanu B'mitzvah Sivanu when he's not really required? How can you say V'tzivanu when you're not required? One might argue that V'tzivanu doesn't necessarily relate to the individual person himself or herself. The bracha is referring to the fact that Am Yisrael were commanded in this mitzvah, and women, or in the case of blind people, also belong to Klal Yisrael, and therefore to say Asher Kishanum Sivanu would be acceptable. As I said before, the bottom line is there's a machlokas between 
the Mechab and Ramah, it seems to be a Machlokas between Svardim and Ashkenazim. And Rav Avadi pointed out that the Svardi Psak is, one should not make a bracha in such a case. Although Ashkenazi women have the Ramah to rely on, Rav Avadya points out that even Ashkenazi women, in his opinion, should not be taught to make this bracha. He said, if they do make the bracha, one should not stop them from making such a bracha, but inasmuch as there is a great uh, debate about this issue, and even the Ramah, Rav Avadya claims, doesn't say that we should educate women to make such a bracha, he felt it would be better even for Ashkenazi women not to make this bracha, but certainly Sephardi women would not be allowed to make the bracha. He pointed out that throughout the ages, well, at least in our recent times, the Sephardi young ladies who went to different seminars of Jewish education were generally taught by their teachers that they do make a bracha. And he felt it would be important to educate in schools like Beis Yaakov or other seminaries that we should explain that at least the Sephardi women should be taught not to make a bracha. And as I said, we should even discourage or at least not encourage Ashkenazi women from making such a bracha. Now, I mentioned two reasons for not making a bracha. One, because it's a mitzvah, a bracha shenatzricha. And secondly, because of the word vitzivanu. One of the practical differences between these two approaches would be, what would be if there would be a bracha from which women are exempt and does not contain the word Vitzivanu. If you say the reason is only because of Vitzivanu, then the reasoning would not apply here, and a woman could make that bracha. But if you say it's not, it's a bracha she'en then perhaps in this case also, women should not make the bracha. Now where do we have such a case? Again, we'll resort to a different tshuva of Rav Avadya. Rav Avadya has a tshuva whether women are obligated in saying Psuke de Zimra. Now, Psuke de Zimra are recited every day before we get to Birchas Kriyashma and before Shmon Esrei. If we would look at Psuke de Zimra as an introduction to Shmon Esrei, one might very well argue and say that anyone who has to say Shmon Esrei should say Psuke de Zimra as a form of praise before Shmon Esrei. We remember the Gemara in Shabbos. A person should praise HaKadosh Baruch Hu before he davens. Now it's true that we do that with Inshmona Esrei, but one could say that Psuke de Zimra were instituted also as a form of Shavach before Tefillah. Or one could say Psuke de Zimra is a special section by itself, which should be said daily, but it might be a mitzvah say shazman grama, and women would not be required to say it. Now, Rav Avadu again goes through a whole tshuva to discuss this point, points out that basically it's a machlokas achronim. There's a discussion in the, in the Balatanya, a discussion of Bekiv Eger, the Mishnabura quotes it, but Rav Avadu's bottom psak is that women are exempt from saying psuke de zimra. Now, it is true that women certainly can say psuke de zimra, but the question would be, could they say the bracha, Melech Mulabatishbachos? It doesn't have the word Vitzivanu, but it is a bracha which we could argue is a bracha Shainatzricha. And the same is true for the bracha at the end of Yishtabach. Melech Alamin, would you be allowed to say that? Revavad Yapaskind, no. He felt this is a bracha Shainatzricha, and women not only should not make a bracha or a mitzvah say, 
Shazman Grama, from which they're exempt, but they should not make a bracha on Psukhi de Zimra. In another tshuva, he discusses Birchas Kriyashma, whether a woman is allowed to say Birchas Kriyashma. A number of years ago, a siddur was printed according to the psak of Ravavad Yosef, and a special edition of a siddur was printed for women. In that siddur, I think the brachas are, are totally lacking. They just don't have them. In that area, even some Svardi poskim have argued with Ravavadya, even if they would accept the basic premise that the Mechaber says not to make a bracha, but they felt you could make brachas which don't have the word Vitzivanu. Ravavadya, however, was very strong in his opinion, and it seems to me this has influenced the Psak today to a great extent. It seems to me, from my personal experience, that like 40, 50 years ago, everybody made a bracha on every woman who fulfilled the mitzvah made a bracha. Today, I believe that Rav Vajra's influence was greatly felt in this area. Among the other issues that Rav Vajra had to discuss, to go through tons of Rishonim, Achronim, and Poskim, he got to this issue. Another issue that was raised was there is a very interesting sefer called Shelotu Tshivot Menashemayim. Shelotu Tshivot Menashemayim, the title itself suggests these are responses from heaven and they relate to questions that this the author said he dreamt in a dream. He asked Malachim who answered the questions and debated the halachic points and they passed in halachic sources. One of those questions was whether women are allowed to make a bracha and in Shailot Shvad Ben Hashamayim, the result was that women may make a bracha on a mitzvah sasei shazman grama. Ravavadi had to deal with that as well. And there is a treatise written by Rav Ruven Magolios in his edition of Shailot Shvad Ben Hashamayim, which brings a number of sources whether we really indeed do paskin like that sefer. Ravavadya, with his encyclopedic knowledge, quotes many sources in respect, in that respect, and he, of course, he comes to the conclusion that we do not follow Sheilotu Tshivat Menashamayim, and therefore he stood by his original psak of women should not make a bracha from which they are exempt. Many of the issues that uh, could be discussed relate to Amcha Yisrael in general, but since I spent uh, quite a few minutes in explaining one that relates to women, I'd like to mention another issue that Ravavadya uh, discussed specifically related to women. There was a question that was asked whether women are allowed to wear trousers. The question was, since they had seen that many women at the time were wearing um what we would call today mini skirts, skirts that are felt are not according to the standards of sneers set by halacha. The question was asked by a principal of one of the schools, would it be better for the young ladies to wear uh, trousers rather than wear mini skirts? Now, some poskim would not relate to this question at all. They would call it a form of halachic blackmail. If they felt that neither one was permitted according to halacha, neither wearing miniskirts nor wearing trousers would be permitted according to halacha, they wouldn't relate to the question at all. 
they would simply say, I don't give in to halachic blackmail. Rabbi Vadya, who dealt very much with the present situations, and I said before, felt very strongly that Kach Te'atayra Adif, again quoted a number of sources, A, to discuss the problem of what's halachically wrong with wearing skirts that are too short. Secondly, what he felt were the halachic issues involved in wearing trousers. But at the end, he issued a psak that although they are both not in accordance with Jewish law, he felt neither one was proper. But he, he did say that given the circumstances, he felt th- you should choose the lesser of both evils and instruct the young ladies at the time that they should wear trousers rather than wear miniskirts. Of course, he was very careful to say that he doesn't want this to mean to imply that he really permitted the use, the wearing of trousers for women, but it, he felt it was the lesser of two evils. This also shows a certain approach of A, the problems of Tznius of the, of the generation, and B, the attitude of Ravavadya towards solving the problems of Kal Yisrael. And the last issue that I'd like to mention Again, where you see the power of Rav Vadya and the, and the uh, attempt to bring his stamp onto modern Psak would be a question that was asked in Yechavadas in uh, the fifth volume, whether people, women, whether women are allowed to make brachas or daven shemona esrei without a head covering. Now, this has been my experience all my life that married women, we won't go now into the issue of, of hair covering for, for married women, but single women certainly never wore hats, never wore any head covering of a, of a sort, and used to go to shul. Obviously, they davened at home, whatever brachas, whatever, whenever they made kiddush, I never saw anybody put on a head covering. And Rav Avadya came up with a, a whole discussion about this point. And first, you have to go through a long discussion uh, I, I tried to count on one page approximately how many sources Yechavadas has in a tshuva. Now, I, I don't know if I pointed out before that the Abiya Omer is long tshuvas with many, 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 many sources. In Yechavadas, because it was given on a very short, limited time frame in a radio program, and it's, a, it's addressed to Klal Yisrael, Rabbi Vadya definitely cut out many, many, many sources, tried to make the tshuva probably as brief as he thought was was permitted, cutting out many, many uh, additional arguments. But I think in an average tshuva in Yechavadas, he also quotes uh, at least 50 sources. And here he would have to discuss, firstly, the issue of men. Now, we know there is a custom to wear a hat or a yarmulke or something when the person davens, in fact, all time. But what would be the halachic status of making a bracha or even davening without a head covering, gilei rosh? Now, after he brought that most poskim say you cannot make a bracha by gilei rosh, why would there seem to be a distinction between men and women? Why would it be that men and that men do need kisui rosh and women don't. Again, he deals with the different sources, and he mentions that in Beis Yaakov, he never saw the young ladies being taught 
to cover their head for davening at all. And he quotes Poskin that he felt it was proper, although he said that it is, uh, you know, if people uh, do not cover their head, there are sources that justify their position. And therefore, we shouldn't uh, really, really force the issue. But he felt it was a very important thing to to the leaders of the Beis Yaakov to teach their students to cover their head even when they daven, when they learn Tanakh, at least when they daven. And he ends, of course, This should be said and taught in a very modest, polite manner in order to encourage people to follow. And again, it seems to me that Ravavadia's uh, influence has been felt in this area as well.